Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So happy you could join me. Uh, welcome to another week and to another podcast, and we're going to talk through a few new things in health and safety and uh, how it affects you, how we're going to lead forward uh, as part of our leadership solutions and going with safety. So first of all, we'll talk about COVID, the something that has been affecting the safety person's life now for over a year, uh, almost two years now, as we're starting to go into another year of watching this happen. And it's interesting, read a great article, and this one was from the Wall Street Journal about the emergency temporary standard that has been set forth at some point, we will see it, based on the idea of that any organization with 100 or more people will have to be 100% vaccinated or subject to weekly testing for COVID. So this emergency temporary standard is something that was brought up during a press conference, and it was about the idea of having government contractors having to be 100% vaccinated and healthcare workers. With that executive order, they further went on, the president went on to say that he was going to have OSHA create this emergency temporary standard for all industries of 100 people or more. And there's been some argument on, okay, is that enough? Should it have been more than, should it have been 10 or more people, five or more people, anything under OSHA jurisdiction? Then there were concerns of, could OSHA enforce it? Are they uh, available? Do they have enough manpower to do what needs to be done to assure that they are able to handle that and handle that workload? But let me get back to my point. (laughs) Had to do some background information. What's interesting is that the Wall Street Journal has said that based on some of the reports they're seeing, some of the statistics they're seeing, the threat of this emergency temporary standard has done wonders. We've seen a lot of companies start pushing really hard for vaccination because of the threat of this standard coming out, the threat of the idea of having to do it. So they've actually said that they may not even need to go forward with this emergency temporary standard that by the time one, it gets published, who knows where we'll be with the vaccination status of the United States. Um, The others will be asking, like, where are we as far as COVID? Where are we still having the surges that at the time that this was released, we were having significant increases, significant risk out there for COVID contamination of the Delta variant. 
So will that even be a thing by the time that we go through the emergency temporary standard process making? Will we even have anything to work with or to worry about or to do? That's a great topic. And it was, they actually likened it to the sword of Damocles, where the sword is hovering over your neck, but never really dropping. But the threat of having the sword over your neck has forced you to do work. And and from my standpoint, so in the work that I do day to day, has it affected it? Oh my goodness, yes. So for the company that I represent, um, we've really had to start thinking about how do we go forward in the data collection, the encouragement, the the idea of getting information out there to our team saying that whether you've considered it, whether you've not considered it, know that we have some government contracts, know that some of the locations that we service have said that they're going to mandate uh, 100% vaccination and proof thereof. And there's this potential for this OSHA new standard coming out that will absolutely mandate that we are going to have to do something and that's actually created opportunities for to, for us to collect data and nothing that would violate ADA yet nothing nothing that says that we're forcing anyone to do anything we're simply in intelligence gathering we're reaching out to our team we're asking questions about are you vaccinated and assuring that we are prepared for whatever may come down the the road and surprisingly and maybe not surprisingly a lot of people are already vaccinated and can show proof of that. There's still some that are not, not going to dive into why yet we're not going down that road. Cause again, we're not mandating it, but we've given a lot of resources. We're really pushing the communication. We're pushing the resources. We're pushing the idea that if you want to get vaccinated, we'll make it as easy as we can for you. We'll do everything we can to help you be empowered to go and do it. And I think that's important, that if you make it readily available, you keep encouraging it, you keep talking about it, and not threatening, not in any kind of threatening way like OSHA is going to come in and take away your birthday, because we don't want fear. Fear only works for a little bit and for only a little bit of time to create an idea. It it creates that dilemma sometimes that, okay, here's my means of thinking. You, You say, here's the real reality. It creates a mental, what they call dilemma. And then someone wants to learn or adapt because of the dilemma in their life. It's part of adult learning. We learn best when we've been presented with a real example of what we are and what we are doing. So for instance, maybe you've not thought much about COVID or you're not too worried about it. Well, we put all this information in front of you and we keep putting it in front of you. Well, finally, there's a dilemma in your head of, well, if the company is caring this much and not being mean about it, not being deliberate yet, but being very open, very in front of you with lots of resources, it creates that dilemma of, well, maybe I should be vaccinated or that's the hope in other words. And then we're able to have it done, get it finished and help anyone and encourage them and to make sure they have the resources to make good decisions based on their lifestyle. That's the most important. We want them to be able to make good decisions based on their background, not discriminatory in any way, but what information do you need to be able to make a good decision? I think that's really important. And this is something we've been focusing on. And that article is really interesting from the idea that it seems to be doing that in a lot of industries. Um, I know a lot of times in something that really led me down my road when I was doing research 
was that sometimes I felt alone with what I was doing in safety. I felt like that are other people having the same mental psychological dilemma that I'm having? Um, do they feel the same way about what they're doing? And sometimes the frustrating parts of being a health and safety person. And so it led me to want to find others that maybe go through the same idea and how they cope with it. And to find out and read an article and see that other companies are going through this same process and that they've made traction because now they're able to say, we don't know what's coming. And actually, it's the unknown that's probably a little bit more scary to some people than what's really known. And that's true. If you're not really sure and you don't really understand it, it's more scary than something that is in black and white right in front of you that you can read and go, okay, here's what it says. Now we can work with that. It's the unknown of not knowing how this is going to look or how it's going to really affect our businesses. And so we're trying to get ahead of it. I once read an article and I cannot remember what the policy was that was being moved at the time, but this is years ago. And there was a government policy potentially being drafted and the actual companies that this would affect got together and said, if we don't create our own internal standard and get this under control, the government's going to do it for us. And we don't want that. So they created their own internal standard. And then the lawmaking process kind of ended because they had created their own uh, standard within their industry. Really interesting. And so this is a case here that we're not really sure that we want to be behind on whatever OSHA is going to say about vaccination. So we're going to get ahead of it. And I commend any safety professional that's having to go through that because it's really difficult. <laughs> so I'm finding out myself. So uh, that's what's happening on the COVID front. When we come back, we're going to talk about some, some different ideas. So more leading and learning through safety podcast in just a moment. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. I'm Mark, glad you're with me. So a few months ago, and it's actually been quite a bit ago now, there was an article, and is actually a PBS broadcast, that looked at this Tampa lead smelter. They actually recycled old batteries. They, they would melt down the lead in them and recycle them. Sounds like a great process. But the health and safety violations, they did an inside, like having people wear video cameras and they had people in there and they were interviewing people about lead exposure and it was absolutely significant and the pictures were just lead dust everywhere people were filthy the process was not working their air handlers were not working and so this tampa lead smelter is back in the news this was from the uh insurance journal actually reported that it was just this month just a few days ago that osha came out with their fines for this smelter and it was almost $320,000, which 
in modern OSHA is big, but not huge. Because with the increases in fines that could have happened, this is moderate. That's a, I mean, certainly I'm not sneezing at $320,000, but it still seemed a little bit low based on what was being seen in some of those pictures and some of those interviews. But I think there's going to be more than just OSHA fines that are going to affect this industry. And they were talking about that since 2006, this company has talked about the hundreds of millions of dollars they've invested in health and safety and environmental protection. What I think they really meant to say was environmental protection, because what they did was instead of venting all the dust outside the building, which they couldn't do under the EPA, they built this building over it. And I'm just recalling from this previous months ago report that they kind of built the building over it. And they were supposed to have this modern day ventilation system that would collect the dust, filter the dust, put the air back in, vent clean air to the atmosphere. Well, what they had done is prevent the, the dust from getting to outside. So they'd built this building over the top, prevented all the dust from going outside, but never got the construction working of the actual ventilation system. So here, all these people are working and instead of the dust going outside, it's just staying right in the building, right for the workers. And if you're familiar with EPA versus OSHA fines, EPA makes OSHA look tiny because they can really hit you with fines. So you could see what the concern of the company was, and that was preventing getting uh, dust outside anymore and complying with their air permitting process. So even the construction company that was working inside it got penalties. Um, nothing to say yet about the 15-day, re- if they're going to, well, they're going to find it, if it's going to go to court, how they're going to handle it. But basically, it was all air exposure. They weren't provided respirators. The respirators were not fit tested. The respirators were not stored properly. They were covered in dust because everything from the pictures I saw from that report, everything was covered in dust. And certainly we have seen here, especially thanks to COVID, a lot of citations for respiratory protection for organizations that have said, hey, you need to wear an N95, but then they didn't fit test or medically clear anyone to wear it. And so here we see this actually outside of COVID, but here we are, respiratory protection, something that's been around for a while, being cited as people are having to still learn that you can't just hand somebody a respirator and say, hey, wear it. There's a lot around a respiratory protection program and doing it the right way. And so a little follow up on that. It's interesting. This is something I've kept following because it really... When I saw the the PBS broadcast, their news broadcast about this, it was just amazing talking to people that modern day lead exposure and something that you would think we'd be past that by now and we're not. So another interesting article that I want to talk about that's also kind of along the same lines of just caring about your people and caring about your leadership was in Connecticut. There was an assisted living facility where the owner was arrested. This wasn't OSHA. This was fire department and life safety. So the fire department came in, their fire marshal had done a walk, found a lot of issues with this assisted living place that exits had been removed. They had actually built the building and got rid of exits that their backup generators had never worked. were not working. And they went in, they said, you've got to get this fixed. And they gave them the, the typical punch list of get this fixed. And guess what? They didn't. 
the owner just didn't do it. And they came back for the follow-up because you know they tell you, we will be back for a follow-up. And by the way, they're not kidding when they say that. They mean it. They're coming back and they're going to verify that you fixed what you said would be fixed. And they hadn't fixed it. They hadn't made new exits. They hadn't got their generator working. And one of the most just mind-blowing, I don't even have a good word for it at the moment, was that the night shift, there were two nurses on the night shift. And both of them had become unresponsive because they had gotten into the fentanyl and had been overdosed. They were finding the pain medication, using it, uh, and then they were absolutely unresponsive. So the site had went hours with no medical supervision for the residents. Unbelievable that this was accepted, that something like this could happen with no oversight, and that both of them. And so there was a choice made. When one person does something like that, you have to think about, okay, we don't know what their situation is. When two people on the same shift with the same thing, doing the same process, there were key decisions and talk about, you know, we should try this. We should do this. And that speaks volumes about the culture of what was happening at this location. Absolutely scary for the residents, for the people around there, that one, the the life safety process, that there was nothing they were doing. If anything had happened, fire, flooding, there was really no good way of getting the people safe. The clients, the residents there, had no means of finding a safe process or getting out. And then to think that the caretakers, those that would have to do an evacuation, those that would have to help their people, those that would, in the middle of the night, when things are needed, couldn't be called on, that's cultural. And there's something long-term wrong. And beyond the fact, I mean, I'm getting into the weeds, because at the most part, there's an owner here who was given a punch list that thou shalt do this and said, nah, I'm good. Prison sounds pretty, pretty awesome to me. No idea. I can't even wrap my mind around the lack of effort and the negative culture that had to be there. Thanks for listening this week to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So happy you could join me. Until next time we chat, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.